Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Salfek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleagues, Ms. Love Mateka, Head of Global Equity Strategy, and Jason Hunter, Head of Technical Strategy. Uh, looking at where we are right now, yield curve heavily inverted, real rates looking pretty high. And at the same time, uh, there's been this narrative of, of, of soft landing. Uh, where do you think we are, Ms. Love? Does, does the recent rally make sense? Are we sticking to our, our view of year of two halves? And, and when, when do you think things will crack? Okay, thanks very much. I do think that the, the recent rally uh, has made sense so far. The question is, uh, are we going to have the next leg being fundamentally justified? Because six months ago, the setup was very clear. Bearishness was everywhere, positioning was extremely low. And if you had any positive news, it would have been very meaningful. So the call that we had on peak bond yields in October or China reopening or European gas prices will go down, went a long way. That has really uh, changed now. So now market is not anymore scared. Market is now expecting. And the expectation is that this early cycle recovery trade, which has been happening and which has been right so far, but the expectation is that this will be confirmed in the fundamental data delivery, where the data doesn't just stabilize, but goes into expansion and profit margins, which never reset, actually can stay high. So this is the big question. Are we going to get that? And our view is that, yes, January, February still seasonals have been good and people have been re-risking, so the market keeps um, a positive tone, but basically I feel that people are now buying because the market has gone up. And people who were convinced three, six months ago that any rally will be a bear market rally only are now the view that of course pain trade is on the way up and we are starting a new cycle. And I think that will fundamentally prove to be wrong because what you have is the underlying disconnect. And the disconnect is between on one side, money market futures saying already Fed will be cutting in the second half of the year, inflation goes down big time. But on the other side, the view that this is not going to be painful at all. There's not gonna be any pain in credit market, no delinquencies, labor market will stay fine and earnings will stay strong. And therefore one of them is going to be right in my view. And, and the problem that we have is exactly as you say, to have a start of a new cycle, you need to have a reset in terms of the expectations and in terms of the earnings, which we didn't have, but also you need to have a driver. And driver usually would be re-acceleration in money supply, re-steepening of the yield curve, pivot by the Fed. We don't see any of that happening. And that's why even though we very much enjoyed this rally over the last months, and we were hoping for that rebound uh, from Q4, I think as you go into the Q2 and Q3 of this year, there will be an air pocket and the equity market will be lower, perhaps meaningfully lower than the current levels today. Thanks, Mislav. You know, you know, when you have falling markets, people will turn to technicals as a guide, of course. And for a long time, it looked like markets didn't want to get above the 200-day average. Now they have. And so that's generated a bit of excitement. People talking about that crossover, and talking about you know other indicators, golden cross, kapak, whatever, pointing to to bullishness. Do you believe these 
signals right now, Jason? Do you think it makes sense in the context of where we are in the business cycle? So at the moment, I'll start with, you know, the quick answer is, is no, we would not follow these low frequency indicators at the moment. And I'll take a step back and give some context here, you know, very much in line with Ms. Love had discussed. Um, by the time we got into September, October, you had a sell-off that really started in the late spring and pressed the market down, you know, sentiment readings in anemic territory. Um, and at in September, October, we had the view that, you know, even though the market was more bearish than we expected in the first half of the year, we had the view that 3,500 would be a floor, even if the market pushed us back on our heels on our, let's say, broader macro view. And the S&P came down to that 3,500 area with that sentiment and actually triggered systematic buy signals. Those are the types of pitches we like to swing at for, as far as the technicals team is concerned. Um, we were suggesting buying 35, 3,600 and had an upside target zone of 41, 4,200. The interesting thing is by time the market had gotten to 4,100 in the fourth quarter, that rally seemed to be mostly powered by a, a dovish repricing in the Fed. So in September, after Jackson Hole, you had the market on the, the, the rate side priced very hawkishly. Um, and by the time you had gotten into December, you didn't really move the terminal rate all that much from somewhere just shy of 5%. But the market had gone from, from maybe 50 basis points of eases once they hit terminal to pricing in, you know, you know, adding 100 basis points of additional easing into the forwards, which is what powered that, that rally higher. By the time the market got to 4,100, we had discussed the risk reward seems much more asymmetric in the other direction. The market is now fully priced for the dovish Fed. Um, and from a technical perspective, including the 200-day moving average, the spider volume-weighted average price, uh, downtrend uh, resistance that's contained the bear market through 2022, and a few other levels in that, in that range, um, we thought that would contain the market. Uh, now, to your point, the lower frequency signals have triggered in the other direction. Um, where the rallies persisted a bit longer into January than, than we anticipated, but still hasn't moved above that 4,200 ceiling that we're looking for. And what that's done is that's triggered the 50-day average above the 200-day, the copic curbs turning in deep oversold territory. Um, when statistically you go back and look at those signals, you know, you can go back to World War II, you can go back on some indices into the early 1900s. Yeah, yes, they work more often than not, and only marginally better than if you just randomly go along the S&P, because let's not forget, for the duration of the S&P, it's mostly gone up and to the right over time. Um, but there are occurrences where it doesn't. Um, you know, and, and in fact, I think roughly 30%, uh, if you bought the golden cross and held it to the death cross, 30% of the time, you don't make money. 40% um, of the time within the first month, there's a, there's a drawdown and the market doesn't follow through after the first month of the golden cross. So from our perspective, we're not following this. We think the risk reward is asymmetric and we do use a macro overlay on our technical signaling for a reason. You know, in the context of what Ms. Love had mentioned, the risk reward just doesn't seem, uh, you know, in a way that we would follow those momentum indicators. And for us, historically, we always buy the deep oversold and then we just trail the stop and use those low frequency indicators as confirmation that the broader macro view is working. We never really execute. On the crosses this time around we'd actually fade it and go the other way great thanks jason and, and turning back to mislav when you look at this rally obviously it was a it was a bit of short covering and now it's kind of taken on its own momentum in in terms of uh we, we've had a bit of a, a junk rally as as well and you know where do you think the market is getting especially toppy i mean what's going to make it crack we have a kind of a lackluster earnings season right now 
uh, we had some statements by Powell, which were interpreted as, as dubbish, which, and, and of course we had the, 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 the job sprint, which was especially hot. And uh, it looks like the market relatively has been willing to look past these things. What's gonna make things crack and, and, and getting down into the, the kind of sector level, what areas of the market do you think are most prone to correction? Okay, thanks for that. So I would say VIX is at the 18 and um, at these levels of complacency, it doesn't take much. Uh, any negative news, whether it's the US politics or geopolitics, could be a, a, a bad curveball. And I do think as you go into the um, Q1 results, there will be more news flow of um, discounting, down trading, weakening uh, pricing power. And, and what happened with the um, consumer so far has been very strong, very resilient, but that doesn't mean that going forward, this cushion of excess liquidity, which is being eroded, will not pressure the spending and the labor market is probably at the best point now and it's going to get worse. There, there are job cuts coming through, even with a very strong payroll number that we had uh, for the last month. So to me, it's about a fundamental non-confirmation through the PMIs and the earnings in addition to some potential curveballs, given very low volatility of US-China politics, US on its own uh, politics. And, and there is a credit uh, market in a, in a background which has rallied together with equities, but the underlying story is still the one of much higher hurdle rate, much higher cost of financing and the banks uh, lending standards, which keep tightening. So there will be cracks uh, on all of these fronts, in my view, over the next a uh, few quarters, uh, two angles, how to play. First, uh, I do believe still that the US 10-year yield at 4% and a bit last October has peaked and we had a very strong call to be long value, short growth, you know, long both commodities and financials and short tech. Last October, I advised to close this, uh, so, you know, to buy back stuff like either ASML or SAP um, because the bond yields are fundamentally peaking. Uh, so this big outperformance of value over growth, as you roll uh, 2023, that cannot continue. That's going to come down aggressively. Not that you need to reverse it, because technology should have bounced, given that bond yields are peaking. And, and as it was said before, now market is priced in for a dovish uh, Fed. But you don't uh, fully reverse it. We have gone only from underweights to neutral on tech because ultimately tech is still trading on, on very saturated earnings and it's not going to be a hiding place this time around. It's going from structural to cyclical. But value versus growth, which we have been long, you need to be neutralizing that uh, style per trade. And really where there is the opportunity is that in the last six, nine months as the small cap leveraged early cyclical stuff rallied aggressively, what was left behind was all low beta defensives and especially defensive growth. So, so you want to use this great opportunity of a very strong risk on rally to buy back some of the uh, lower beta stocks, defensive stocks, uh, you know, healthcare looks good in my view, in Europe utilities as well, and, and, and these kind of stocks more globally. And you want to be reducing beta, corporate beta, industrials, consumer beta, autos, travel and leisure. And I think also financial beta is going to be 
uh, problematic because net interest margins are peaking now and the yield curve is still likely to stay very heavily inverted. So financials, uh, industrials, consumer cyclicals is where you want to be cutting, lowering beta of your portfolio, use this rally to, to cut that and value versus growth factor, not to be as excited about value as we were over the last one and a half years. Smyslov, you know, one of the themes has been recently that, you know, central banks around the world have not been pushing back hard enough against the market pricing of, of cuts. And Jason, you've done a lot of modeling um, work uh, looking at the, this cross-asset relationship between equities and, and rates. What are you seeing on your side in, in terms of what's priced in, what's reasonable, and, and what's going to be the reaction function of, of, of equities from here? Yeah, and I think really validating and bolstering a lot of what Mislav had said, when you look at it uh, in terms of, of how we've quantitatively modeled, um, you know, like I'd already said, the, the fourth quarter rally was, was, was you know, a, a really, really broad breath, um, well supported, and that was powered by a, a, a Fed pricing in the OIS market that went from fairly hawkish to, to fairly dovish, you know, you know, well beyond what the Fed's mentioning in the, in the dot plot and what they expect. To unfold by by December, that was fully priced in the OIS market, um, and the S and P. You know, if we look at the twelve months leading up to that, and explain it by the shape of the money market curve in our model, um, that explains you know roughly 0.7 R squared. So seventy percent of the the price variance is, is explained just by what the rates market has done and how they've dovishly pivoted. Um, the interesting thing, and as Mislav had noted, the strong you know let's say early January to mid January period was primarily cyclicals. Um, and, and, you know, in part driven by the, the China reopening story, but there was a, a, a style shift where momentum crashed and, and a leadership shift, um, in the last two weeks. And, and what we did in our note, um, last week is, was we took that same model and rather than just predicting where the S and P should be for the past year, we looked at the, the sectors within the S and P 500, um, and a lot of interesting switches that took place. You can see cyclicals really pushed higher, residually rich versus the level of, of already priced dovish rate expectations in the first week or two of the year. Um, but in the last week or so, what you've seen was um, a run to duration within the equity market. Um, so that's the, the biggest mover. And after earnings, uh, you know, some specific earnings we've had in the past week, communication services went from one standard deviation undervalued to two and a half st standard deviations overvalued and real estate went from the bottom to the top of the stack as well not quite as aggressively um you know uh, not quite as aggressive of a move but i think that's roughly one and three quarter standard deviation overvalued versus the level of rates when you look at what's at the bottom of the stack what's undervalued healthcare utilities again these defensive um defensive you know groups that that it, it seems to make sense that those are the ones to look at now um as as attractive opportunities um, cyclicals fit kind of right in the middle of, of that distribution, but, but naturally if we're, our view is that, you know, from a technical team, our base case view is the S&P rolls over and retests the 3,500 low. Um, generally that's, that's cyclicals aren't going to have a good go at it for a bit while they may outperform toward the end of that move, which is typical of a cycle bottom, which we think would happen in the first half. Um, the initial leg lower, especially after the push higher that you've seen in, in the last month or so. Um, cyclicals are going to have, you know, uh, you know, something of an air pocket underneath them, as, as Mislav already mentioned. And for the time being, the things that look good from a relative value perspective, as they relate to rates, do seem to be the defensive sectors.
things still have to get worse before they can get better. Um, thank you, Jason and Ms. Love for joining us and thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.